I'm glad that you're here uh, because we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and open with me back to Matthew chapter 5. I want to just start right in this morning and continue where we picked, continue where we left off last night. Here's what Jesus is saying. Verse number 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want to spend just a few minutes this morning talking to the skeptic, or maybe equipping you to talk to the skeptic for just a minute, because as I have traveled over the last almost 13 years of just full-time vocational ministry, I've met all kinds of skeptics of Christianity. And I want to say to you this morning that if you found yourself disappointed this week in Jesus' definition of happiness or his roadmap to restoration, you are not the first and you certainly will not be the last. In fact, among many in this great crowd that was following Jesus, there are at least three types of people who found themselves extraordinarily disappointed in everything that Jesus had to say and everything that Jesus did. And even though we live in another country and in another culture and in another century, people really haven't changed that much. And so maybe you're here at camp this week trying to figure out why. God has let you down, why you're disappointed in Jesus. And you honestly might be thinking to yourself that he's not what you were expecting and not what you were wanting, or maybe that Christianity isn't what you were hoping for, really, when you started to check this Bible thing out. And when you started to check this church thing out, you were looking for something a little different. And so if you're wondering, if you're thinking, if you know somebody who's curious as to why God's definition of happy doesn't seem to be sufficient. Jesus is going to kind of answer that here in the next three verses. So kind of a weird title, kind of some weird notes to take down today, but they're important. Let me give you three reasons why you'll be disappointed in Jesus. You know... (laughs) The statements that Jesus is making to this crowd are so scandalous and so shocking. Jesus is calling for a lifestyle that is absolutely foreign to their way of thinking. They knew these Jews know how to be religious people and they expected the Messiah, their deliverer, they expected the prophesied one to show up and congratulate them on how good they were at keeping all the rules. Um, But Jesus shows up and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, you think that you're really good at doing all this religious stuff, but I'm here to say, happy are those, blessed are those who realize there's nothing good inside them except what God has given. And so now he's saying that humility is necessary to enter his kingdom. He says, blessed are those who were broken over Sin And what's funny is in the the Greek culture, now Jesus is speaking to Jews, but a large portion of our New Testament is written in Greek. It was the common language of the day, kind of like English is today. If you needed to, to trade, you probably learned English. And 
the Greek language doesn't even have a word for humility. Like it doesn't translate. That if you were trying to explain humility, it wasn't that you could use one word. You had to create a whole paragraph to get people to understand because the Greeks were like, why would you be humble? That's the antithesis of our culture. You're supposed to be strong and proud and assertive and, you know, macho. No, not humble. You're not, you're not trying to be, they don't even have a word for that. The, the weak people are, well, whatever your word is for, for humble. And now, look at it. Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek in verse number six, verse number five, blessed are the, the meek. And everyone listening would say, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. There's another paradox, because if you want to inherit the earth, the strong are the ones who inherit the earth. I mean, just ask the Romans who had conquered Israel and inherited all of her riches, you know, this Jesus, this Jesus that's talking, they're thinking, is crazy, and it's not going to be too long before somebody's going to try and kill him for all of the ridiculousness that's coming out of his mouth. Let me just give you a little bit of a history for where Jesus is arriving on the scene, because a little over half a century before Jesus was born in 63 BC, a man by the name of Pompey had annexed this portion of land for Rome. And so the Jewish independence came to an end, the independence that they had just fought for in an extremely, um, uh, it's a bloodbath of a revolution that you can read about in history called the Maccabean Revolution. And they had fought to be free from Greece, and it wasn't very long that they knew freedom until they're now under the bondage and the authority and the power of Rome. I'm telling you this because you need to understand the, the attitudes of the Jews that Jesus is speaking to. You need to understand the time at which God allowed Jesus the Messiah to arrive on the scene. And I'm also telling you this because your Bible is 100% accurate 100% of the time. And what's funny is, as people who hate God have tried to disprove the Bible, there's typically one book that they struggle the most with disproving. It's the book of Luke. Luke was a very educated man, and he was very detailed in his introduction. He gives the times, the names of the rulers, and at one point they said, see, look, Luke, he spelled this ruler's name wrong. We're not even sure that ruler even existed. But every time they overturn a shovel of dirt in Israel, a new page of the Bible is proven true as they just discovered a column from the palace with the name of that ruler chiseled in exactly the way that Luke wrote it. I'm here to tell you that everything that you read in your history books can be backed up by the Bible and the Bible will be backed up by great historians because the Bible is true. It's true. So from then on, from 63 BC, the land is ruled partly by Herodian kings. Um, Herod is kind of like a last name, this, this line of these puppet kings who are really being controlled by Rome. The Herodian kings are ruling over the land of Israel. There's government officials, governors, kind of like a man by the name of Pilate. He's the most famous one that we read about in our Bible. And so Israel is under Roman domination, the Herod family rule, and governors. 
And the Jews despised this Roman oppression. And the Jews were so stinking proud. They were so arrogant. What's funny is in John chapter 8, verse 33, these people are arguing with Jesus and they say, we are Abraham's seed. We studied about that Monday night. We're Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. (laughs) They wouldn't even admit that they were in bondage most of the time. Like they wouldn't even confess that somebody had beat them. They're like, we're the children of Abraham. Nobody's ever been in, in, in charge of us. So the whole story of Jesus falls inside this framework of Roman rule. Now, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied, the Holy Spirit had told him to write this down and to say this out loud, that when the time of the Messiah was drawing near, that all of a sudden the Jewish people would begin to really just feel something, like to to crave it, to, to... mentally and emotionally anticipate that it's it's coming it's coming kind of like they I don't remember they call it senioritis you know or it's it's true for all of us when you're in school and you get to the beginning of the month of May and you know that there's only just like three or four weeks left in school and you know that these weeks are important but at the same time your brain is already checking out you know what I'm talking about It's like the weather's starting to get warmer, the days are getting longer, and you're just kind of feeling like, "Ah, summer is here. You know what I'm talking about? Isaiah had prophesied that the children of Israel were going to be like, "Mm, the the Messiah is, is coming. And so around the time that Jesus is showing up, there's all these little fake messiahs popping up everywhere because people are just like, I can sense it, I can feel it, it's coming. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene... Um, he's doing things that no one had ever done. He's speaking like no one had ever spoken. He's miraculously healing people. He's feeding thousands. And they're ready to put a crown on his head and make him their king. Um, but their version of king was going to lead this political military upheaval against the Roman government. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And they're like, oh no. This is not our guy. There's this group of people called the Zealots. And they're political activists who are not so much worried about religion. And they're looking for a general rather than looking for God. And they're the first group of people that Jesus would disappoint. And I just want to tell you that you will be disappointed in Jesus when you replace meekness with military. Or maybe we would say... I'll be disappointed in Jesus when I replace meekness with might. That's the first point. Write that down. I will be disappointed in Jesus when I replace meekness with might. Let me just be straight up with you. I really like, I like politics. I think it's a good time. It's a fun hobby. Um, There was a season of my life where I served as a a campaign strategist and I got to work with some incredible campaigns on some senator races to uh, governor elections to I've got to serve um, a couple presidential. It's it's so much fun helping write speeches and connect with people. It's great. And the reason why I got into politics really wasn't because God was calling me into it. I don't do so much of that anymore. Um, but I had been really just hurt in ministry, so I was like, if people are going to you know, lie and backbite, at least in politics, you can expect it. You know? And so I was like, well, let's just, we'll just be prepared for it. So, I, I mean, it's a good time. I'm proud to live in the United States of America. 
I'm thankful that we live in the greatest Christian nation on the face of the planet. I'm telling you this because there are people who want to get you to hate our country, and they want to get you to hate our history, and they want to rewrite it. And the reason why they want to rewrite American history is because that's the start, so that they can rewrite biblical history and convince you that this book isn't true. I'm here to tell you that the reason they're going after your generation is because we've never had a generation with access to more truth with less motivation to dig out what was really true. We've never had a time in history where we could, with the tips of our thumbs, find the answers to just about anything, and yet we're willing to believe what somebody on a television says. The enemy is coming for you. And there are some people who want to take Christianity and make it all about might. And Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek. He, he said, I, I, let me just tell you that for all of the stuff I've been involved in, not one president has ever kept all their promises and made me happy. Not one senator has ever saved me. I've never been granted grace and mercy by any prince that I've been granted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Politics never satisfies. And so when we take our faith and we take our Bible and we try and make it a political power, I'm here to tell you that Trying to use your Bible to just to, to be strong, to steamroll over people in order to have power, yeah, it never works and it never makes people happy. Jesus didn't come to be a senator, he came to be a savior. And he said, Happy are the meek. Because they're surrendered to God and his word, and whatever God says, they do. Yeah, sure, all of us got together, we could make something happen. And sometimes that's necessary. When government tries to put itself in the place of God, rebellion becomes righteous. When the government says to do something that is contradictory to what God's word says, I'm telling you this, be ready to take a stand. But there are some issues, Bible, Bible doesn't really speak to all that much, and so when it comes to that, let's be loud where the Bible's loud, and be silent where the Bible's silent. Some people are trying to use their faith to steamroll over people. And it's all about might and power and authority. And I'm like, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're willing to do whatever God says do. And ask the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And they would tell you, sometimes God tells us to stop and to lay down our life so that the gospel can go out even more effectively. Here's the question. Are you prepared to die for what you believe if it comes to that. But if you think that Christianity is just going to keep you in power and make you in charge all the time, I'm here to tell you, it won't. And you'll be disappointed in Jesus. Here's another one. When I look for miracles instead of meals. See, the zealots wanted a general and they were disappointed, but the Pharisees, they were more religious. And so they're looking for somebody that can bring about this like powerful, miraculous, overthrow of Rome. And so when Jesus is taking, you know, a number two combo at Long John Silver's and feeding 5,000 people with it, pretty big deal to the Pharisees. And, and when Jesus is healing people, yeah, they argued and, and they fought. But at first, at first, they're like, here's our guy. They're, miraculous things are happening. And the religious people are like, come on, he's, he's going to do it. And we're, we're going to make him king. And 
Even the disciples were were wondering this. After having followed Jesus for three plus years in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, the disciples go, so when they had come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are you going to do a miracle now? Is it going to happen? Are we... Are we going to be in power now? Lord, you died, you rose again. What are you going to do in order to give us political freedom? And that wasn't Jesus' purpose. That's why in John chapter 18, when Pilate is questioning Jesus and he says, what kind of king doesn't wear a crown? What kind of king doesn't have a kingdom? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not of this world. And to, Jesus, to us, Jesus would say in verse number six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. This hunger and this thirst, it describes a profound hunger that cannot be satisfied by a small snack. This is a longing that endures and is never completely satisfied this side of eternity. Christians today hunger for so many things. They're looking for power and control and money and fame, but they're not happy. You know why? Because they're hungering and thirsting for things that God said don't satisfy. We ought to be a generation that is so desperate, so needy, so longing for the righteousness of God that we're not looking for some like show. Some people are like, I'm just ready for the show. You know, if, if people are going to fall out on the floor, I'm, I'm here for that. If people are going to be like sobbing and crying, you know, I'm, I'm here for that. If somebody's going to get miraculously healed, I'm here for that. But the reading of the Bible every day, eh. I'm looking, I'm looking for something crazy. <laughs> and that's why you're not satisfied with Jesus and you're not satisfied with the church that God's placed you in because you're showing up on Sundays and you're showing up on Wednesdays and the Bible's being preached. And you're like, where's the show? On TV, that church I saw on TV, they've got a show. Where's the show? Where's the miracle? And Jesus is going, hold up. I called you to crave a meal. Spend time hungering and thirsting for what? Righteousness. Well, well, what is righteousness? Simply put, it's rightness with God. Righteous, right with God. And you don't have any righteousness of your own. You don't have it. Unless God gives it, you don't have it. It's Jesus' righteousness in me that makes me right with God. And so... We want to be right with God so much that we hunger for it. It's like, I can't go on unless I have another meal of right with God. I won't be able to live another day. I'm talking about you want to be happy? Get to the spiritual place and the mental place where you're going. I so crave another drink of right with God that I don't want to leave this place of personal devotions in the morning until I've met with him. I have got to have another meal of right with God so bad that I refuse to just go to church and sit there and hear but not really pay attention. Like, I've got to be right with God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a show. He's talking about people that are surrendered. They hunger and they thirst for one thing, right with God. But you'll be disappointed with Jesus if you make it about me rather than mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And if you're looking for a Christianity that's about you, about you, it's about me. 
rather than mercy, you'll be disappointed with Jesus because God never promises that. Number three, I make it about me rather than mercy. Christianity was not designed as a tool by which to control others. But if you're truly following Christ, Jesus will have total control over you. And there's not one verse in the Bible that was written for you to weaponize against another person. Not one. And I want to tell you that being led by mercy is tough. Because it's more than sympathy, it's compassion in action. It's anything we can do to benefit people that are in need. Oh, and and it has to be unselfish in its motive as well for God to recognize it as mercy. It's not like a let me go feed the homeless so I can take a selfie of it and post it on social media. Not mercy. That's about you. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Christianity is not about you. It's about Christ. And Christ loves people. And so if we're going to be Christ-like, we must go out of our way to love what and who Christ loves. You know, three reasons why you'll be disappointed in Jesus. Those are so clear. And so here's the question. Was there ever anybody that just wasn't disappointed in Jesus? I'm not talking about a, a, a temporary, you know, discomfort, but... I'm looking for somebody in scripture that overwhelmingly said, wow, Jesus. Let me tell you about one. His name is James. James chapter 1, verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James said that. James opens his letter by saying, James servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what makes that significant? James is the biological half-brother of Jesus. His mom is Mary, the same Mary who gave birth to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What would it take for your biological brother to convince you that he was your Lord? What would it take for you to worship your brother? Have you thought about that? What would it take for you to confess that your brother or your sister was your king or queen and you would die for them? Let me tell you what, I've got a brother named James and um, there's nothing he could do to convince me that he was my Lord. He's younger than me. He's dumber than me. He's not as good looking as me. The oldest children are always the best, brightest, you know, future hopes and dreams of the family. Best, I'm just saying, the, older, the oldest kids. It's the oldest kids. What would, you know what it would take for James to convince me that he was my nothing? But what convinced James, the brother of Jesus? He grew up with him. He saw him as a kid, as a teenager. What convinced James? I'll tell you what it was, one thing. He saw his brother predict his own death. And predict his own resurrection. And then he actually pulled it off. And I'll go with anything that that guy has to say because only God could do that. What caused the apostle Paul to go from being Saul that was persecuting Christians and shutting down churches to being the guy who would pray for Christians and start churches? Do you know that no historian will disagree that a man by the name of Paul existed and spread the gospel of Jesus to multiple continents? Like, how did that happen? Why? Because, because there was a man who predicted his own death. 
and his own resurrection, and Paul saw him. And I'll go with anything that that guy has to say because anybody who could predict their own death and their own resurrection and actually pull it off has to be God. That's what the Bible says. So I'm here to say that you'll be disappointed with Jesus if you're looking for something about you and about might and about power and, yeah. But happy are those who let God make their decisions. And happy are those who spend every moment they can enjoying God's presence. And happy are those who are merciful because God has been so merciful to them. If you're looking for that other type of Christianity, it's not really Christianity and it won't make you happy. But if you're looking for that, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I promise it satisfies, it works. It works. Father, thank you so much.